0: We've been in a series on uh, the commands of Jesus. Uh, He told us to make disciples and teach all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them to observe everything that he commanded us. And so we need to know what he commanded us if we're going to obey it. And then he said in John 14, He who has my commandments and does them, he it is who loves me. And so we reflect our love for Jesus by knowing his commandments, but not just knowing them, also doing them. Easter Sunday, we observed the Lord's Supper. And Jesus commanded us to do this in remembrance of me. Two weeks ago, we looked at the first command in Matthew's gospel right after Jesus inaugurated his ministry, coming in from the temptations, and he, he saw some folks, and he began to preach, saying, Matthew four seventeen, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he came upon some fishermen, and he gave the second command. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So if we repent of what we're doing, and we begin to follow Jesus, what will happen naturally is that people will persecute us for our faith. And so Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, all the Beatitudes, blessed are they who do this, and at the conclusion of the Beatitudes, he knew that if you do all these things, he said, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And here's the command, the only command in the Beatitudes, rejoice is an imperative. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. Which begs the question, if you have not been persecuted for your Christian faith, why not? Are we too careful about blending in with our culture to avoid persecution? that no one really knows we're Christians. So let's talk about it this morning. Bow with me. Father, as we come today to consider this third command that Jesus gave, repent, follow me, rejoice. And it's not rejoicing over good things that happen, it's rejoicing when bad things happen, when we're being persecuted because we love you and because you are first and foremost in our lives. And regardless of what everyone else is doing, regardless of what our culture and society may dictate, we know what you have taught. And we believe it. So now give us the boldness to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in 2009, Carrie Prejean was the reigning Miss... California in the Miss USA pageant, and she was leading all the other contestants in the Miss USA pageant when it came time for the interviews. And going into the interviews, one of the judges, Perez Hilton, asked her, Vermont has just legalized same-sex marriage. Do you think every state should follow suit? Why or why not? And you could tell that at first Carrie Prejean was going to give the politically correct response and say that every state, every person should be free to choose. But then you could tell literally that she stopped and thought and decided she was going to tell them what she really believed. And she said that while not not, not wanting to offend anyone, she was raised in California, believe it or not, to believe that marriage was between a man and a woman. That's what the Bible teaches, that's how she was raised, and that's what she believed. Well, the judge, Hilton, went ballistic. He was mortified, and on his blog, he recorded all kinds of evil against her, and he made huge deductions in his evaluation of her interview, and because of that, she did not win the Miss USA pageant. She was first runner-up. That's something simple that, that happened in our country. Um, As Marlon intimated in her offertory prayer, there are Christians all over the world today who are being persecuted because they believe in Jesus. And I just printed out a list of Islamic terror attacks on Christians just this last month, in the last 30 days. In Libya, 30 Christians were killed, um, captured Ethiopian Coptic Christians, a dozen of whom were beheaded. In Pakistan, extremists open fire on a Catholic school. In Italy, a dozen Christians on a refugee boat are thrown overboard by Muslims, 12 were killed. In Syria, terrorists shell a Christian neighborhood killing 20 Christian residents. In Pakistan, a young Christian is beaten and set on fire. In Nigeria, a pastor's daughter suffocates when Muslims torture church over another Muslim's conversion. In Bangladesh, a pastor and parishioner are attacked and stabbed by a group of 35 Muslims. In Egypt, Ajnad Misir members open fire on a church bus. In Kenya, a handful of Muslims storm a Christian college and separate out the non-Muslims and shoot them 150 in cold blood. Egypt, young Muslim radicals firebomb a church. In Somalia, El Shabaab, releases video showing the brutal execution of six young Christians. In Pakistan, Islamists on motorbikes open fire on a church. And also in Pakistan, a Christian youth dies after being set on fire by his Muslim boss. In Nigeria, 82 uh, Christians are killed by Fulani terrorists, mostly women and children. In Pakistan, targeted suicide bomb attacks near two churches, leaving 15 worshippers dead, and that's just in the last Thirty days. I believe there comes a time in the life of every Christian when you have to take a stand for what you believe. By our lips, by our actions, by our words, we make a difference for our Lord. And it's one shining moment which God gives us to take a stand. We have to decide if we're going to be bold in our witness or are we going to cower down And go along with society, what everyone else is doing. And when that happens, to take a stand for Jesus will not be a burden, but it will be a privilege to say what we believe and why we believe it in the name of Jesus, for the good of others and the glory of God Almighty. This command, rejoice and be glad, comes at the conclusion of the other Beatitudes because Jesus knew if you lived out those first seven Beatitudes, this eighth Beatitude, you would be persecuted. If you are a follower of Jesus, you will be labeled by some a peacemaker, but by most a troublemaker. And look at Jesus. He was the Prince of Peace, and yet no one was ever the object of greater persecution than he. And if you aren't being persecuted for being a Christian, then maybe you aren't a very good one. Notice the subtle shift into direct address. In uh, this verse 11, all the other beatitudes are blessed are they, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the pure in heart. But when it gets to verse 11, all of a sudden it becomes personal it said, blessed are you. It goes from third person to second person. It's not blessed are they, but blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you. All of a sudden it's not they, it's you, it's not if, it's when it becomes Personal, because it is personal. In this list of Beatitudes, there's only one imperative, there's only one command, and it's in verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Why did Jesus say this? First of all, I want you to notice that we don't rejoice over all kinds of persecution because not all kinds of persecution will be blessed. I've known some obnoxious Christians who excel at only one thing, and that is getting on everyone's nerves with a holier-than-thou attitude. And when folks make fun of them, they just pass it off with verses like these. But being a bold Christian is not an excuse to be an obnoxious Christian. It is not a license to ram the gospel down someone's throat. We've taken for granted that the cross is the symbol of our faith, and every time you envision a cross, you see it hanging in a sanctuary, polished wood or or, or gold. When you see a cross as a piece of jewelry, it is uh, a gold pendant hanging around someone's neck. I've never seen a cross that looked like what the cross of Jesus, what he was crucified on, because it is too ugly to envision. It was an instrument of death, but you need to remember for the ancient Romans that the cross would become a religious symbol would be unfathomable because the cross was the most barbaric means of torture and death that those Romans who, were, who excelled at, at torture and suffering, it was the most outrageous form of punishment that they in their evil minds could conjure up, and they were experts at it. They used the cross as a means of deterrent and control and to strike fear in their subjects' hearts in countries far away from Rome, but still under their their control and power. And the cross was a chilling reminder, and so the Romans had no qualms of, of erecting crosses all over the distant empire and 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 putting dissidents on it, political terrorists, to show them what would happen to them if they followed that same path. It would be like starting a religion today and using the guillotine or electric chair as the symbol. Only the cross was worse. Romans and Jews alike were dumbfounded that people worshipped a man who was crucified on a cross. They could not fathom that the symbol of Caesar's ruthlessness became for Christians the sign of Jesus' victory over death. And so the persecution that began with Jesus continued into the early church, so much so that the Greek word for witness is martyr. M-Y-R-T-Y-R is the Greek word, and we have translated it into English as witness. To be a witness for Christ in the first century meant that you were a martyr more often than not. And so those two words, witness and martyr, became synonymous, and that's why the Greek word for witness is martyr. We went through a study of the 12 disciples recently, all of whom were martyred, of course, except Judas, who hung himself, and John, who died in lonely exile on the Isle of Patmos. Thousands of Christians willingly gave their lives in those first centuries. And as the Roman Empire continued to expand The Roman Senate decided that they needed a way to unify and consolidate their power base to keep control over the most distant territories. And so they came up with the idea of of emperor. It's called emperor worship. They decided that Caesar was a god. And they required everyone to worship Caesar. It was compulsory once every year for every person in the Roman Empire, Roman citizen or not, to burn incense to Caesar and to say, Caesar is Lord. Of course, Christians couldn't say that because their confession was Jesus is Lord. And so the Romans would say, come on now, you can offer incense. You can say Caesar is Lord and cross your fingers behind your back. You don't have to mean it. We know it doesn't mean anything. But the Christians refused to compromise And so they were labeled as dissidents and disloyal revolutionaries and a threat to the empire. And they faced torture and death time and time again. And then comes along a Caesar named Nero in the 60s and things got even worse because Nero was crazy. He set fire to portions of Rome. And you've probably seen the cartoon of Nero standing on his balcony playing a violin while Rome burned, he set fire to portions of Rome as part of his urban renewal project. Only the fire got out of control and burned more than he anticipated. And the Roman citizens became angry. He couldn't admit that he had said it. And so he looked around for a scapegoat and found Christians and blamed them. And so to punish Christians, the story is that he covered them in pitch and stuck them on poles And hung them in his garden and set them afire and strolled through his garden while burning Christians lit his path. The Romans did not understand the Lord's Supper either. They heard rumors that Christians were eating the body and drinking the blood of their founder, and the rumor began circulating among Romans that those early followers of Jesus were just cannibals. Christians refuse to fit in socially and politically and religiously, and when you refuse to go along with everyone else, you are feared, and when you are feared, you are persecuted. Ironically, though, the greater the persecution of the church, the more the early church grew. One ancient historian wrote, The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. I think of it, and I've said this before, I often think of it of of like trying to put your thumb on a drop of mercury. We used to do that in chemistry class in high school, but they've taken mercury out of chemistry now because of mercury poisoning, but we played with it all the time in our lab. And I remember putting a drop of mercury on the table and trying to put your thumb on it, and what happens? It scatters into a thousand different droplets. And that's what they did to the church. The more they tried to quash it, the more it spread. There was a famous martyr named Polycarp who was 86 years old. He was Bishop of Smyrna, burned at the stake in A.D. 156. All he had to do was curse Christ and they would release him. And this, when he was told to do that, this is his famous reply that some witness wrote down. He said, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? You threaten me with fire that burns for an hour, but then is quenched. Yet you are ignorant of the fire of judgment to come. Why delay? Do what you wish. And the onlookers were in awe at the joy and peace on Polycarp's face as he was tied to the stake and fire consumed him. As he breathed his last, I can't help but wonder if he recall these words of our Lord. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, for so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. And the number of Christian martyrs has just multiplied today. In the 20th century, in the 21st century, there are more today than ever. In 20th century communist countries, I remember, do you remember when Ron Lawhon came back from uh, a Sons of Jubal tour to Russia? And he showed me a picture of the inside of the sanctuary of First Baptist Church, Moscow. And there were portraits of men hanging around the balcony. And it looked like our chapel, but there was a balcony in there. And there were portraits of men hanging all around the balcony. And I asked Ron, I said, are those pictures of former pastors? Because we have former pastors, you know, hanging in our breezeway. He said, no, those are just the ones who have been martyred. And that's the way it has been and always will be for people who follow Jesus. However, there has always existed a tamer vision of Christianity that we have watered down in order to get along with everybody. C.K. Chesterton, uh, a British wit, wrote years ago, the problem with Christianity is not that it has been tried and found difficult. I'm sorry, the problem with Christianity is not that it has been tried and found wanting. The problem is that it has been found difficult and left untried. It's not that it has been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. In other words, you can get along great with everybody in the world if no one ever figures out you're a Christian. (laughs) If you manage to keep that a secret. As a matter of fact, it says in Luke six twenty six, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets who were before you. That pretty well destroys the image of the perfect Christian who is nice and popular, who never offends anyone and is easy for everybody to get along with. As, as we live the Christian lifestyle, as we manifest the Beatitudes in our character, in our conduct. It is inevitable that we will share the reproach of Jesus and participate in the fellowship of his sufferings, as Paul wrote in Philippians 3.10. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. If you're in fellowship with Jesus, there will be suffering. And if we have never been persecuted, we might need to examine our claim of being a Christian. Because if I'm not making waves somewhere, if I'm not generating some sort of conflict in this evil world, then my own, the only result can be that I have conformed to it and something is seriously wrong. When Jesus gave these words to his first followers, this is at the very beginning of his ministry. He was already being hated. And so he laid it out very plainly from the outset to those who would follow him. He said, look, I'm going to tell you guys right up front, there's a price to be paid to live in my kingdom. And God is calling his people to live contrary to the world. And when you do that, there will be a price to pay. And we don't hear that often enough because we don't say it often enough. We're more interested in making easy, quick converts without telling them the full price they'll have to pay to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I predict there will be a day in America when you will be openly persecuted for your beliefs and for being a Christian, and it's already beginning to happen if you don't toe the politically correct line. It's not just in the Middle East where Muslim fundamentalists are targeting Christians. It is being infiltrated in every nation in the world today and let's get more personal. Let me go to stepping on some toes. What if uh, you go to a party and refuse alcohol? What if you hold a party and refuse to serve alcohol? Young people, what if you refuse to engage in promiscuous sex? What if you have a business partner who says, let's pad the bottom line a little bit and split the difference? What if you refused to participate in sports on Sunday? What if you refused to conduct business on Sunday like Truett Cathy and Chick-fil-A? You remember the old question that folks asked so popular about 20 years ago? If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? It's worth thinking about isn't it? And there are more examples than I can give you here this morning where you are being asked to compromise your faith every day. It might be at school. It might be at work. It might be in your neighborhood. And I can't give you all those. But if you'll be sensitive to the Holy Spirit within you, you'll be under conviction and you'll know what's right and what's wrong and you need to decide beforehand before that issue rises what am i going to do Jesus commitment to God and his kingdom cost him his life why should we assume that his followers today are going to live comfortable pain-free lives and when we when that happens that we don't Jesus says rejoice Rejoice and be glad, for so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. And I think the perfect example I think of is Paul and Silas in jail, underneath the jail, for preaching. And what are they doing? I know what I would be doing. I'd be whining. I'd be complaining, Lord, I'm your faithful servant. I've been proclaiming your word. Why have you let this happen to me? Get me out of here. What were Paul and Silas doing? They were singing. They were singing. Christian discipleship, is going to be costly. Suffering for Christ is not a sign that we're doing something wrong. It may be a sign that we're finally doing something right. And the more closely we walk with Jesus, the more persecution will find us. We don't have to seek it. We don't have to be obnoxious. We just have to be true to Jesus and his commands. And they will come. On a wall in a children's home in Calcutta, operated by an order of Mother Teresa, are these words which capture the thought of these verses today. People are unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness may make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building up may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help but may attack you if you help them. Help people anyway. Give the world the best you have and you may get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you've got anyway. Love. Obey. and follow Jesus and you'll be persecuted so be it let's bow together father as we come now to a time of decision it may not be a popular thing to step out into the aisle and come forward and profess faith publicly in Jesus Christ and we know now living the Christian life is not A guarantee for a bed of roses but it's a call to take up a cross and follow you we may be the only one who takes a stand for you rededicating our lives today or joining this church but give all of us here a boldness to profess our faith in you not only within the confines of these walls with like-minded brothers and sisters but give us the courage when we emerge from this place not only to say with words that we love you but to live out those words whatever the cost we want to seek your kingdom and its righteousness first and foremost and let all the other worries and concerns of the world fall behind And so we give ourselves to you fully this day and ask you to guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.